you come in with your fire extinguisher and you're just ready to just put the damn fires out. Right. Um, but if we're, and we have to do it, it just, it is the job, right? We're firefighters. Um, but throughout the day, if that's all we're ever doing, then we're just kind of letting that control us. And then we don't become consistent in our efforts because we're never then intentional with it. You know, how were you intentional with your time to make sure that you were consistent? All right. So we'll put another word next to consistency and that's empowerment. Um, okay. I like that. You need to empower your people to your, your team to make decisions um, that are in the best interest of, of the customer. Uh, secondly, of the dealership. Uh, and thirdly, of themselves. Good morning and welcome to yet another episode of the Coffee with Jason podcast. On today's episode, Jason is chatting with David Foy. They'll be jamming about the benefits of consistency and empowerment. Grab that fresh cup of delicious Closer's coffee and settle in for some morning knowledge with your host, Jason Harris. After this quick word from today's sponsor... For freshly brewed discussion on automotive sales and marketing, this is Coffee with Jason. The Coffee with Jason podcast is sponsored by Closer's Coffee. For that full-bodied, rich, sweet flavor with a bright acidity. Drink Closer's Coffee, stay caffeinated, and keep on closing. Find out more at closerscoffee.ca. The complications of going live. Like literally, I, today I'm going to whiteboard an entire live streaming process just so I can physically understand which equipment it goes to and then which streaming service it goes to and then which editing software it's being sent to. Like it's, yeah, it's a project yeah. stuff. Anyways, we are live right now. So I guess we'll just go ahead and start this bad boy. And I actually think that's a great place for us to start is actually, I would like to jam a little bit about your mastermind um, uh, meeting the other night. But first, before we get into that, uh, David, I want to take the moment to just say thank you for coming on and jamming with me today, man. I really appreciate your time. And uh, for everybody out there that uh, don't know who you are, if you can maybe just give us, you know, what is that little introduction that is David Foy, you know, we'll get started there. You bet. Uh, thank you also for having me on here. I greatly appreciate the time uh, that, that you're spending with me also. Um, for those of you who do not know me, uh, David Foy, um, on LinkedIn as the Fixed Ops Mastermind. Uh, I have been in fixed operations. For those of you who do not know what that is, that is the service parts and body shop side of a dealership operation. Um, since 1987, I started as a tech with Ford Motor Company um, and have slowly worked my way up uh, through the ranks, um, performing pretty much every job in, in the dealership that, that you could in, on the fixed ops side. Uh, to my position now where I'm a service director uh, and, and running the fixed ops mastermind on the side to try and promote fixed operations, promote the service side of the business, um, bring some more people into the business and uh, just uh, genuinely have a passion for this business. And, and it, it sometimes gets a bad rap on both the sales and the service side, but it really is a, a great industry that was in a way ahead of its time with college not necessarily being something that you really needed to be successful in this yep. business. Um, and now the times have caught up with us where people are realizing college is not always, always needed. Um, and, and we just need to bring some more great people into this business, keep it thriving. And, and David, what I've always kind of, you know, appreciated about you is that you're an actual practitioner. 
you know, you're not just out there talking for the sake of talking, you know, you actually do what you're talking about. So I think that's really important that, you know, when people are out there and they're choosing who to listen to and who to follow and stuff like that, you know, you're definitely a guy that I would recommend to follow simply because you're actually doing what you're preaching <laughs> for a change. That's actually pretty different, right? Um, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm walking in those shoes every day. I know, right? Uh, so, hey, uh, give me the rundown. Like, how did it go the other night? What were some of the topics? What was really hot? You know, what, what, was, uh, what was everybody's kind of temperature? Yeah, so the, the, uh, we went into last night with, with an actual theme of the night, which was time management. Okay, cool. Uh, and um, uh, David White, uh, a service manager uh, from a large Honda store. Um, I might get this wrong. I believe it's David Clark Honda. Um, was the first one to jump into the hot seat. Uh, with a time management issue that, that he had. And the issue that he had was he has 74 people working under him uh, and being able to get to all those people and touch all those people in a timely manner so that he can stay in touch with what's going on in his department. That's um, a big department. Yeah, yeah that, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good sized department. <laughs> yeah, I worked in a really large Honda store and that was nowhere near the size of that. It was about 40 people. So his almost yeah. doubled. And, uh, <laughs> it's got to get crazy. And, so, uh, and then that is, and you know, I think even for people out there, you said 40, and I think that's kind of the range, what we typically say up here is in between 20 to 40, you know, depending on the shop. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, just trying to get some one-on-one -on -one time with each other. I mean, let alone doing the training and the coaching aspect of it, right. you know, it's just being able to also kind of do that development portion. Right. I mean, I kind of break down, uh, a team efforts or, or team development into four different spaces. I, uh, I believe there's training. We train on those efforts, right? Uh, we, we coach the individual based on, you know, their efforts and their activities, but then we develop out those, act, those efforts and activities. You know, it's like you, the first level of processes that they learn is kind of, you know, the beginning one, but then we continue to develop out. And the fourth one, which unfortunately I don't think we get to as much is the team building portion. Right. You know, and it kind of sounds, is that kind of where he was kind of at? He's like, hey, I'm kind of doing this, but I, I'm just not hitting that team portion. Yeah, so, so his issue was um, obviously he has his, his top performers, um, which who most times get left alone because they are the top performers. Of course. Uh, and maybe sometimes they have some needs that, that go unmet because they, they're, hey, he's doing his job, so we'll leave him alone. Um, you know, he has his middle performers who, who get touched occasionally. And you have the lower guys who are the ones who are getting most of the attention. Um, and he was kind of looking for some help, some direction on, on what best way to kind of funnel that all in so that he can get to everybody from top performers all the way down. So um, what, what was some of the advice? What were some of the points that were getting thrown around the other night? Yeah. So we had um, my, one of my suggestions was, was simply to, uh, to spend some more time walking the shop in the service drive. Um, yeah. he's a guy who, uh, absolutely loves the, the number side of things and creating reports, um, to, to see what's going on. Um, and some of the advice that was given to him was to take more of a, a high level a 50,000 foot view of his department, uh, and provide that information to the techs, to the advisors and not so much the, the granular look, um, where, where a lot of times advisors and techs eyes are going to glass over, mm -hmm. um, because they just don't care about the tiny numbers. You know, they, they care about, depending on what their pay plan is, they care about hours per RO, they care about sales per RO, and they care about CSI um, and, uh, or effective labor rate also. 
Um, well, we, we, we care about the effective labor rate. How much they care about the effect. It just depends how their pay structure is. Exactly. Right? If it's in their pay plan, they care about it. Um, <laughs> um, so it, it was. Uh, it was a lot of discussion around around that. Staying away from, uh, as he called it, the rabbit hole of creating the reports and getting stuck in his office for a few hours when he thought he'd spend twenty minutes on that report, um, and. and getting more out to, to talk to the people, uh, to give them that high level view, which he could do quickly. Um, there, there was a suggestion of rather than, than doing individual people, because it would take so long to get to each individual for that high level view was to, to break them up into groups, um, and, and talk to the groups individually. And he could do that in probably four or five groups and, and hit every group every week. And that way he could touch every single person. Yeah, with as many people as you have, that actually kind of makes sense. You know, it's yeah. almost kind of break them down into mini teams. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Give them a mix of, you know, some of the, the junior guys, maybe it's the guys that have got a little more experience, and then each team's got at least one senior guy on team. Right, right, right. That, uh, that does make sense. I, I do like the fact, though, that you guys were really encouraging him to look at that 50-foot view, but that 50,000 foot view, but look at it from a numbers perspective, right? I, I feel like in a dealership, it's cool because I'm actually in, when I go to Detroit here on Monday to uh, the Rockstar conference, it's actually what I'll be talking about. So it's pretty neat. So that is that as an industry, we've always just been so focused on this, this superstar type mentality, right? It's like, that's all we ever want. We just want superstars, you know, like we, we've created an entire culture just based on superstars and, you know, it's focusing on, those people and we never seem to focus on the whole team as itself right and when you take that 50 foot that 50,000 foot view but you look at from a data perspective all right that gives you what where your team is at you know and you're going to have some people that are going to be falling behind other ones are going to be kind of leading but I think you kind of collectively work as a team not necessarily he maybe takes all responsibility of that but it's like you're going to have some guys there that you know might be mid-level guys but their ability to work with others is quite high right so what is their value is their value only on how many how many hours they're producing? Is their value only on how many dollars they're producing? Not necessarily, right? So right. I think that's very cool. Yeah, there's uh, certainly a lot of intangibles that uh, th that you need to be aware of with your team, and that and that's part of being connected to that team, right? Is is mm -hmm. understanding that you, you know, yeah, he he might be a a forty five hour a guy week, but maybe he's the guy who's really helping the, the 30 hour a guy week come up to a 40 hour a guy week, um, you know, increasing his, his value that way. Um, and if, and we look, if we look at it from a whole dealership perspective, but you have to start with the data first, right? Yes. Like if you don't have the data in front of you, then it's a whole bunch of I feels and I thinks, which right. like, I mean, this set, as many meetings as I've been in, and I swear, the second I hear one of those come out of a man's mouth, I mean, I, I just, I literally want to throw something against a wall. I'm like, just, just don't even finish the sentence because I don't want to fucking know what the, what, what, what the sentence is going to be. Yeah. Right. You know, in our industry, there's no space for I feels and I thinks, right? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> if, um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Gary John Bishop, but, uh, mm. he, he wrote, he, he wrote two books. He has a third book coming out, but, uh, the, 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 um, first book was on after yourself. Um, and, uh, like my kind of book. yeah. And the second book was stop doing that shit. Um, and, <laughs> and they kind of book. excellent books. Yeah. But the, the second one, um, he talks about just that, like the, the feeling and, and how, 
how you will, you'll justify something by, uh, I just, I don't get a good feeling from that person. Um, and you have no data to back that up, um, to, to, to that point. Um, check those two books out by Gary John Bishop. Great books, um, on, uh, how we get caught up in our head and, and we'll, we'll make things feel a certain way. Yeah. the way we, we want them to be. So now I will say when it comes to data, our service departments have always been a little farther ahead. Our parks departments, our service departments, the entire fixed op departments, however you want to look at it, has always been a bit farther ahead than the sales department has because you have to operate in numbers. I mm-hmm. mean, it's just, it's literally, you know, that's how your team is getting paid. They're getting paid on their efforts, not necessarily the results. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I mean, you know, we, we, we have to pay them on the efforts it takes to rebuild that engine, not necessarily the fact that he rebuilt that engine in a faster amount of time <laughs> or a slower amount of time, right? They get truly paid on efforts, not necessarily results. So the numbers have to be there. Um, for the service managers and parts managers that are out there listening right now or watching to this, all right, and they're kind of shaking their head and go, yeah, 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 you know, I kind of have some of these issues too. What Let's talk about what kind of data they really need to be taking a look at and how often do they need to be looking at this data to kind of give that 50,000 foot view of what's going on with the team. Yeah. So the, the second portion of your question, how often do they need to be looking at that? Every single day. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I've, I've put a, a, a few videos out there about end of the month, beginning of the month. I, I don't care. It's, uh, sorry about that. Um, I, I don't care what day of the month it is. <laughs> Is that Looney Tunes? Yeah, that's Looney Tunes. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my work phone ringer. <laughs> Looney Tunes, uh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, I, I don't care what day of the month it is. It, it's all the same to me. And, and I don't have my, my, my stores that I'm at, we don't have end of the month craziness because we do everything every day. Um, and you need to look at that data every day. And for advisors, for techs, uh, to have their the techs uh, efficiency data there, hours that they've produced, what they're expected to produce every day, how far ahead or behind they are for the week in production and efficiency, that all needs to be provided to them every single day as early in the day as possible um, so that they know they know where they stand, they know what the expectations are. Same thing for the advisors. Um, I have uh, in my office, the, the window that's to the left of me is goes into my dispatch area um, and on the backside on the dispatch area, it's kind of a super highway through from the advisors out to the shop. Um, I put all my numbers on that window um, instead of on a board, instead of printing them out, everything's up there for everybody to see. Um, and that gets updated every single day. <clears throat> they know where we're tracking for gross profit for the month versus what it was last month and what it was versus this month, the previous year, the advisors know where they're, CSI is, where the store CSI is, where their effective labor rate is, where sales per RO are. Um, and the technicians know their productivity level. They know how many hours they've put in, uh, how many hours they've produced rather, how many hours they've worked, and whether they're ahead or behind. Um, and so and that's stuff they open scorecard. So it's like an open scorecard. I mean, I think of it kind of like uh, – you know, like I, I love using baseball analogies. I'm just a big fan of baseball, but it's just, yeah. you know, that that's your scorecard and it's always kind of there in front of you, right? Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm uh, from Massachusetts. So it's my big green monster up there. Uh, up there. Yeah. It's got all the, it's got the pertinent scores um, and, and uh, runs, errors and, and hits up there. It, it, it has everything anybody needs and it's open to everybody. Um, you know, sales parts, 
and all my service guys, uh, they, they come through there. Everybody stops and looks at it. So, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you're creating a data-driven culture, you know, and what I mean by the culture point is you didn't just create a team by <clears throat> developing out with data. You went as far as now sharing that data, um, encouraging everybody else to take ownership of that data, you know, and once we get to that stage, that's actually when we start to create culture. Mm -hmm. Now, was Absolutely. this intentional or was this just kind of by osmosis or organic uh, over a period of time? Well, it, yeah, it was, it was by osmosis over the last 30 something years. Yes. Um, it's, uh, certainly not the way that, uh, when I was first a manager, I managed, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that, that was much more by, uh, by, by this is the way we will do it. Um, and you don't need to know why, but, but we will do it this way. Just and do uh, it. yeah, just do it. Exactly. Um, and, and now it's, it's really about bringing the team into that, into that vision um, and having a vision that's, that's my vision is large enough so that all their visions can fit inside mine. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's, that's important to create that culture. Uh, they have to know that there is a bigger picture out there. Um, they, they have to know that you may, you may take a, take a customer on a, on a $4,500 RO, but you're going to take that customer one time yep. and then never coming back. Um, and, and now his next eight years of business have been lost. Um, and, and you can walk through my store and my, my guys understand that. Um, I say, <clears throat> I say guys, but I do have a, a, a woman who was a tech who is now an advisor working for me. So my That's team, cool. your team, my, my team understands that they, they understand that this is, it, it's a, it's a, a long-term game. Um, and, and we're, we're not about just killing a number for one day. Yeah. So, I mean, look, you're, you're measuring out their efforts, identifying their results. And I'm also assuming you're probably putting your retention numbers up there as well. So how everything kind of correlates along with each other, because I've seen where people have really focused on the efforts. All right. Even more so focused on the results. And then to your point, that's where their retention actually started to hinder. I think what it is, is like, they seem to get maybe two parts and then forget how it can affect the third part, the most important part, the retention part being the same, right? I was at a dealership the other day and they were boasting, you know, on how high their dollars were per work order. And they were, they were high. I mean, it was high, right? Yeah. You know, but I'm like, yeah, I get it. You're excited, you know, stuff like that. But you know, you've been at this now for nine months and sure enough, started looking at the retention numbers, which is not a number that they were looking at on a regular basis. And it was slow, not, not, not huge yet, not huge, because again, we were only nine months into it, right? But it did start to slowly dip. So I think it's always kind of this, always kind of these balancing plates, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, it's, it's very true to, to go back to, to a sports analogy. Um, if you look at football, it's, it's run, run, pass, right? Yes. Run, run, pass. You, you, you're always, you're always setting up your pass with some runs. Um, and, and that's, you're setting up your retention by doing the right thing by the customer. Um, and, and that's, this is, after all is said and done, we're in a customer service business and these customers just happen to bring cars to us. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, and it's, it's about taking care of those customers that is going to help your retention. Uh, and, and you're going to help your retention by doing the right thing for them which is not taking them for a $4,500 RO. Um, yeah. you know, may, maybe the car needs all of that, but, but there's a reason you're called a service advisor uh, and, not, uh, and not an order taker or a thief. 
Um, and, and that's so you can advise the customer on what needs to be done. Well, what, what do you have to do right now to make your car safe? That's a great point. Actually, we need to bring, we need to bring more advising back into the advisor role, right? Absolutely. And I think the reason why I see a lot of dealerships don't necessarily have that is usually because of lack of training and coaching. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's why there's not a whole lot of advisory happening and we're not really advising anybody, you know? Right. Um, I have a question for you. Something that I, I've, I'm on the fence on actually. I really am because I've kind of seen it go both directions and I've seen it work both ways. Um, but I'm just trying to collect some information from everybody to kind of get a feel for it. Do you reward on the efforts or do you reward on the results for advisors? It's a great question. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, I, I guess that's, I, I guess I have a two part answer on that. Um, you, you, you don't get results without your efforts. So, um, yes, they are, re- they are rewarded on their results, which are their, their numbers, um, which is what their, their pay plan is, is based on. Um, but I have elements in their pay plan that are affected by the team numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the, there is a reason why when customer A comes in and they dealt with advisor C, that advisor B will help that customer if advisor C is not available. Uh-huh. Um, and it's not just a, Hey, sorry, John wrote that up. I'm not touching that guy. Um, but because their pay plans are tied to a team effort also. Yeah. See, that's the problem I always kind of run into, right? Mm-hmm. When I work with a lot of these teams, we're structuring them out. It's this, well, it's not my job syndrome. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, no, someone else opened the work order. Ooh, I'm not touching that thing. I mean, who knows where that thing's been? I mean, I don't know. You know, I mean, John yeah. opened it. I'm not going to, who, you right. know. And, and look, I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm not going to pretend that I work at Utopia Nissan. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's still some of that that goes on. Yeah. Uh, and, and obviously you have some advisors more than others who are really good at, at, at putting their stuff down on a repair order so that anybody can pick it up and, and know what, what happens. Um, I always try to teach them to pretend you got run over by a bus today. Can somebody pick up your work and finish it? Or, or do we all need to struggle to figure it out? Um, it's a good visual, by the way. I like that. I think we should say that in our meetings. <laughs> Just, we'll start our service meetings. If you get run over by a bus today, <laughs> all right, can someone still do your job? Yeah. That's exactly. awesome. I love it. <laughs> uh, and and it, it's important to, to have all the information available. And you know, certainly we, we do have, we do have that when, when it comes up where, where you're like, oh man, I, I have no idea what he quoted this guy. I have no idea what, what, what we're supposed to do with that. Um, but we'll pick that ball up and run with it. Um, and, and I'm saying we as a team, because obviously I'm not usually the guy carrying the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but these, these, these guys and, and girls work well together. Um, and, and the the team portion of their of their pay plan has um, shop hours per hour. It has CSI and it has a shop ELR uh, all tied into it. So they have so their individual. But wouldn't that still be considered results, not efforts? Well, it it is results, but but as I started out with, you don't get a result without an effort. That's right. Um, and and so to achieve that to to achieve that individual result, um, you can put in an individual effort and, and collect your pay. Or you can put in the effort into the team and really boost your, your pay. So the, 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 the effort is, is now spread out where 
everybody wants to help everybody else because they want to maximize their pay plans, which. So you do, you do a combo team and a combo. No. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know what? Honestly, I, I, I've actually gone both ways with this, with my mm-hmm. service department. I, I, I don't know if there's a, a one way to do it. Um, I, the point in time when uh, I was working with the GM group at the time and um, the reason we had switched from results over to efforts had to do, there, there were a lot of significant changes with GM. So there was just, the vehicle, there wasn't as many vehicles being serviced. There just wasn't. And it was nothing the service advisor can do. There was nothing the tech could possibly do with that, you know, but to have their, have such a big portion of their income tied behind results that they ultimately had no control over mm-hmm. uh, because there's just the sh- the fundamental shift in, in, um, in uh, service frequencies and intervals, right? Yeah. They just weren't seeing as many cars. There just wasn't right. as much getting, getting through it. Right. So I don't know. I, I, you know what, I think it, it may, it may just have to vary depending on the dealership and what their situation is. Um, but yeah, I bounce back and forth. <laughs> yeah. And if I, if I take that out into the, the shop uh, where, where it's a, probably a little more difficult to, uh, to, to work that, to work that team effort pay plan in there yes. um, in, in Massachusetts, a lot of times my hands are tied with what we can do with, with pay plans for, uh, technicians. Um, flat rate is pretty ingrained in, in the system and in the laws. And, um, yes, you can change and move away from the pay plan, but it is so complicated that, um, nobody wants to do it. Sure. Uh, and, and I, and eventually in, in our industry, I'd, I'd love to see us move away from the, the flat rate system. I think there's certainly some better ways to, to do things and, and to measure performance and effort. Um, and, and I don't know any plumbers or electricians out there that, that would, that would go into a job and, 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 uh, start each day going, yeah, I have no idea how much money I'm going to make. I, you know, I'm hundred percent with you. I, I really struggled, you know, a little bit, you know, when flat rate became really popular, you know, um, I'm look, there was a lot of people that were excited about it, but honestly, I kind of felt like those were the ones that were kind of underperforming in the first place. Right. You know, and it's just like, I don't know if flat rate was necessarily the best thing um, for the consumer either. Right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. I, th- I think it, it was a little better. It was a little easier for the dealership to go flat rate just simply from an accounting perspective. Right. Um, but I don't know if it was necessarily best for the consumer and also best for the tech because, you know, if I had a tech that could just work faster, I, you know, what's wrong with them being able to make more money for it? You know, it's just, yeah. you know, it just, it didn't seem to, promote, you know, just good old fashioned hard work and right. you know, maybe a little um, uh, intuitiveness, you know, mm-hmm. saying, well, you know what, I, I know that this job takes, you know, uh, is, 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 you know, it's going to take 1.3 hours, but I know that if I do it this way, I can get it done in an hour. Right. You know, right. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think the flat rate system was, was well intentioned when it was yeah. put out there. Um, and, and it was looked at as, as a way to, get people to boost their productivity on their own because of the chance to, to make more money. Um, but, but at this point, I'm, I'm a believer that if I have a great tech, I'd love to be able to just say, we're going to pay you X amount each year, um, tie some metrics to that, obviously, and then maybe some, some bonus, bonus intervals to that. Um, but if you have a team that understands that 
yeah, I can take all day on this oil change because I'm salary. But again, yeah. that is not coming back. If you have a team that understands, I, I've just got to, I got to get this in. I got to get this out. I, I've got six cars I got to get done today so that these customers will be happy. These customers will come back and see us again and again and again. Um, I, I think if you build that culture and that team, then there's no need for a flat rate system. I, I think sure. we'll put in the work. What would it look like, in your opinion, what would it look like if we um, was rewarding our uh, technicians based on their efforts, not necessarily the results? Um, wow. It's, uh, <laughs> that's a tough question to answer. Um, it, it, as, I, as I envision a, a a new service department at, at Utopia Nissan. Yeah. Um, I like it, Utopia Nissan, by the way. <laughs> uh, is I got for I, sale. I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I got that from a service manager. I worked at worked with uh, many, many, many years ago. <laughs> Anytime you complained, he said, this isn't Utopia Ford. So <laughs> until you work there, that's the way it is. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, how I would envision that I, I, I would see, um, that technicians are, are paid, um, obviously by their skill levels. Mm -hmm. Um, they're, they're paid a, a salaried wage, um, each year. Um, and that there are similar, similar to an, to an executive. They, they, there's, there's metrics that would be tied to that to, to boost their pay, um, and, and get them to, to different levels. Um, and, the um wow there's there's so much to that my head's like exploding well, i think i think at the end of the day what it is is that um we want our team to go out there and leave everything on the field mm -hmm. right um sometimes shit just doesn't you know snap together like it just right. you know we, we go in with a plan we really do yep you know but it's just you go in and you know how it is it's you go in, there's two things, but there's actually 15 things wrong with the damn project, you know, and it just kind of just starts to grow and get out of control. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I, th I think what we're always trying to do is, is, you know, we know the best teams out there. All right. Are really focused on their efforts, meaning that no matter what the results are, they're leaving everything out on the field. Whatever they had in the tank was left out there, right? So right. I'm always trying to think of how we can kind of incorporate that kind of concept into, into the dealership. Because I really think moving forward, that's ultimately what we're going to have to do. Because there's a lot of fundamental changes going on in the service department, right? Or fixed ops department. It really is, right? Um, even just from a generational thing. Actually, let's talk about that. Let's jump about that for a little bit, all right? Yeah. You know, look, the next five to 10 years, there's going to be some pretty big changes, you know? And the way we staff people and how we staff people, possibly even the vehicles are going to mm -hmm. change enough where we're going to, the staffing requirements are going to change again. You know, for dealerships out there that are kind of staring down that barrel over the next five years, and they're just having a hell of a time finding techs, which I think we all are. No one's not having that problem, <laughs> right? You know, um, what are some of your ideas on how we can kind of address those issues? Yeah, the, I mean, one of them is is certainly what we were just talking about, but that's that's I think a, a much larger issue than than any one of us can solve individually. That's uh, I almost feel like the the flat rate system. The only way that's going to get solved is if the OEMs decide to 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 put their um their uh, <laughs> government muscle uh, to to work, if you will, uh, and, and get some changes for us there. Um, other than that, um, it. 
I think it's really just a matter of we've we've got to number one train our leaders uh, who are training our teams. Um, there's too often in this business, um, and certainly I'm one of those people. I, I started out and gave you my little elevator pitch bio, and I started as a tech and and moved up to the seat I'm in now. I was lucky enough that that I had um, three really strong mentors in, in three different areas of the business um, that helped me develop into the, the leader that I am now. And some people don't have that. Um, some people are an advisor one day and the manager quits and walks out and the GM or the, the DP says, <laughs> tag, you're it. And now you're a manager. Um, it has happened. <laughs> and when I got, when I got to my store, um, the, the guy who was the service manager, awesome guy, unbelievably hard worker, but he had been on the sales floor and he literally knew zero about fixed ops, except that we worked on cars. Um, that, that is really all he knew. Um, and, and he was in there and he was doing his best and, and man, oh man, that, that guy ran like the road runner around that place all day long, but, but he had no idea what to look at. He had no idea how to actually manage people. Uh, how to get people to to do things that he needed done. He had no idea what to what to do with a a, a customer situation, uh, and there's too much of that in this business where guys like that are running these departments, um, and because of that, they then cannot they can't manage themselves, let alone a team. Yeah, um, and, and we really need to put some more focus on developing our our leaders so that that top down effect. Uh, can take place with the rest of the department because the the, the fish rots from the head. And uh, right now um, we, we have too many, too many people in leadership positions that, that have quite frankly, have no idea what they're doing. Well, and I agree with you because I see this a lot, you know, I, I, I have the opportunity to be in a lot of dealerships and sometimes very much so wonder why certain individuals are in their positions. Now I'm not necessarily, but I'm, but I'm also empathetic to it at the same time. Right. Um, because I understand that whatever the situation was uh, to your point, like you said, someone quit and someone just, Hey, uh, Hey, you over there. Hey, you know something about service, right? Come over here. Just run this department for me real quick. Yeah. Right. Um, but I feel like when we're talking about training, it's really kind of training these, training these people to understand what that data is. I, I think that's what it is. I mean, uh, you know, you'd be amazed how many general managers I sit down with and wouldn't even know how to calculate an effective labor rate. <laughs> don't know how it's created. Don't know what it is and really don't know why the hell they should care, you know, yeah. which is a total shame, right? Absolutely. You know, it's like we, we seem to be training on the day-to-day activities Mm-hmm. You no, know, like, okay, customer comes in, let's check the car in, let's get it back in the shop, let's get it up on the hoist, let's do a, let's do an alignment check on it. You know, it's like the activities seem to get trained. Right. Then we do very little time um, training on the data portion of it because then without, without that training, we have no idea why the hell we're actually doing these activities or how we could better the activities. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and wait, it, You'll hear every single person who's going to do some training on fixed ops to tell you how important it is to do a walk around, how important it is to do an MPI on a vehicle. But if if you take those people deeper, can they tell you why it's important? Is it important yes, yes. so the customer sees us walk around the vehicle? Is is the MPI important just to eliminate liability to the dealership if something happens when that car leaves? 
Or, I would say or majority is, people would say that. I think majority of people would say what just that, that it's actually designed just to remove liability. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, at least at least when it was first designed by by Ford with its around the wheel program, it wasn't designed for liability. It had nothing to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was it was about selling tires and, and all the maintenance that goes along. Opportunities, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but can can they identify the the data that comes out of that walk around and out of that MPI? that they can then use to run their department more effectively. Um, and I don't think, to, to, to your point, I'm, I'm empathetic to them too, uh, who have never been taught that. They've only been taught that they better make sure their advisors get out and do a walk around. Um, and they better make sure that their technicians do a thorough MPI. Yep. Um, but, but they haven't been taught what they can, what they can pull out of that, uh, out of those two simple things that, that typically in a good service department get done on a hundred percent of the cars. Um, and there's so much data in just those two little things that, that can be used to run your department. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's not enough that we just train on the activities. We actually have to train on the measurable portion of the activities, which are the efforts, yes. you know, um, and to your point, like, um, you know, <clears throat> doing a walk around on a vehicle, that's an activity, but there mm -hmm. are, six or seven check marks there's six or seven efforts that need to be done for that activity to actually be completed but we don't seem to measure we don't seem to focus just on those points we focus mm -hmm. on just the result did it get done right sure it got done but did it get done correctly yeah you no know, like it, it was it just half-assedly done you know it's like you know so it, i think if we, if we spend more time and not just with our managers, but to your point, like how I love how the fact that you put your numbers out on the board every single day out there for everyone to see it, but it's that we create a culture around that data. Meaning the advisors understand that data, the technicians understand that data, and they, they understand how that data ultimately affects their pay, how it ultimately affects the entire team, how it affects the entire dealership, All right, Then that's when we start to create a culture. People start to take ownership of it, right? You know, what someone, the other day I was listening to a podcast, someone it was defining culture as a group of individuals working towards the same goal and objective, you know? Sure. So that's one way to describe it, right? But that, that that's pretty much what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but, but unfortunately, you have advisors are kind of on their own island and the technicians are on their island. And sometimes they don't even like talking with each other. And then, you know, those fucking parts guys, you know, shit, they're weird, <laughs> right? You know, they're, they're on another island that's a little farther <laughs> out, you know, and we, we, we only try to, you know, we, we only work with them as much as we possibly have to, you know, <laughs> just to get our parts and get the hell out of there, you know? Um, but yeah, it's just about at the end of the day, creating that team. And I think to your point, we create that team through data. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that data is what you need to do to, to pull those islands together, um, and connect them to make a continent. Um, the showing, showing advisors and techs how parts positively affects their, their work, um, <laughs> showing parts how their work can negatively affect an advisor's work um, or, or negatively affect a customer relationship um, and vice versa, showing parts how their positive work helped the customer relationship um, and, and bringing all, all three of those, I could use another arm so, yeah. so that <laughs> you, you could pull all three of those together um, and, and you, can do, you can do all of that with a relationship created around the, the, the data that is needed um, to, to get everybody to work together toward that one goal. Um, 
and that's that's what putting that data up on the board does is it allows everybody to see where everybody else is and to see that that everybody's rowing in the same direction that that we're all pulling for the for the same goal yeah, that creates that data-driven culture. Hey, for everybody out there that's sitting there listening to us or watching us right now, and they're shaking their heads going, uh-huh, 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 I get it, right? But how the hell do I start, all right? What would you say the first, let's say the first two or three steps, you know, to getting this started? What would that look like for the service manager? All right, so um, I'll use I'll use myself as the example. When I started at at this store that I'm at now, I've been here for about four and a half years. Um, when I started at this store, it was literally the bottom of the district, last in the district, 12 out of 12 dealerships, and had been there for three plus years running. Perfect record. Had never moved out of the 12th position. Consistent. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, my, my first day there, there were actually some corporate people from Nissan that were there just by chance. Um, and, and honestly, it, my, my dog sitting next to me, I swear my dog's life. One of the corporate guys actually said to me, well, good luck with this store. Um, that's, <laughs> that, that's the position that we were in. Um, and how I started was the, the first week, I really said very little. I introduced myself to people um, and just kind of watched to, to see where, who was, who was doing what, who kind of fit into the, into the gears in, in, in which position. Um, and after that, I, I put out my personal mission statement to, to everybody so they could understand where I was coming from um, and so that they could understand the vision that I had for the store as it was and that I didn't accept that we were 12 out of 12 and that we were always going to stay there. Sure. Um, because there were people when I started there that said, we're never going to have good CSI at this store. Um, and, and that's, you can create good CSI at any store. Um, and so that's where I started was I gave them my personal mission statement. Um, I let them know that, that I am there as long as they're doing the right thing. I'm there to provide cover fire for them against the higher ups so that they can perform their job to make the customer happy yep. and make money for them, make money for the dealership and bring that customer back. Um, over and over and over again. And that was our number one objective was that customer comes back to us. Well, and I think uh, the key word there is objective, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you gave the ship a direction, right? This is the direction we're heading in. Right. Here's my mission statement, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I imagine you probably even wrote it down. It, it absolutely, it was written down. <laughs> it was written down and handed out to everybody. See, so, there you go. See, uh, that that's accountability, right? The second mm -hmm. you wrote that down, all right, the second you handed that out to your staff, all right, now you, they were, and they were going to hold you accountable for ultimately hitting this. I mean, mm -hmm. you put yourself out there like, okay, this is the mission statement. This is, this is the direction the ship is heading. This is our objective. Let's start heading that goal. I think that's an amazing first step. And I think, yeah, I don't, I, a lot of service departments can start just right there. That is probably the most important step is just defining what that direction is, what that mm -hmm. objective is, writing it down, handing mm -hmm. it out to everybody so that there's some accountability. So right. then, now once that's done, what would, what would you say the second best step for someone to start with? The, the second best step is being consistent with that accountability. I like that. Um, it, you, you, I, I can't put that statement out there and then a, a week later back off of something or, or have something happen and have me not provide the cover fire for, for my advisor or my tech that I just told them I would. Um, it, it, they, they have to 
you can put the mission statement out there, but you've got to get that buy-in and you get that buy-in by being consistent with your actions. Um, and, and that's, that's the, the absolutely hands down the most important second step. Obviously you've got to have a mission, but from there, once that mission is out there, um, every other step is going to be built upon you being consistent with following through on what you said you were going to do. Let's talk about consistency because it, I, I love that, right? But I also find that sometimes consistency, the word consistency is it's just used as kind of like a blanket. Well, just, just be consistent. Come on. <laughs> fucking fix the problem. You know, just fucking be consistent, right? Um, but I think what it is is I, I really, for everyone out there that's listening, watching this, you know, what does it actually mean to be consistent? You know, I mean, the way I kind of view it is I'm consistent when I'm intentful with the time, with my time right? That, that creates consistency. Otherwise, I mean, we, we, well, we've all been, I mean, I've, we've been service managers, right? So it's like, I've been, you are now, um, you know, you know, the amount of fires that literally when you walk through the door, all right, there's a stack of them sitting on your desk from the night before. All right. It's like you come in with your fire extinguisher and you're just ready to just put the damn fires out. Right. Um, but if we're, and we have to do it, it's just, it is the job, right? We're firefighters. Um, but throughout the day, if that's all we're ever doing, then we're just kind of letting that control us. And then we don't become consistent in our efforts because we're never then intentional with it. You know, how were you intentional with your time to make sure that you were consistent? All right. So we'll put a, another word next to consistency and that's empowerment. Um, okay. I like that. You, you need to empower your people to your, your team to make decisions um, that are in the best interest of, of the customer, uh, secondly, of the dealership, uh, and thirdly, of themselves. Um, and if you can empower your, your advisors, so as an example, an advisor comes to me because they've got a, a customer that's heated um, about whatever, the issue doesn't matter. My first reaction is not to, to jump up from my desk, throw on my firefighter hat and hose and put that fire out. My first reaction is to say, okay, here's what I want you to go say to that customer. Um, and, and I give them the, the, the words that I would use to try and disarm that customer, to try and bring that customer back down uh, to, to a level where we can work with them. Um, and send them back out there so that they're empowered. They, they have the tools to, to now, maybe they don't get out of it this time. Maybe I end up having to step in, but next time they've now built up a little bit more of a toolbox to, to work with the next customer that starts to escalate. Um, and, and I, I don't, I don't allow myself to get involved in a customer situation until it is really escalated to the point where I need to be involved in it. Um, all my guys know if, if a customer gets to me, I'm giving away the house to keep that customer. Um, it, it really doesn't matter. I'm, I'm there to keep the customer for the next six or seven years. I'm not there to, to, uh, to win an argument. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so. And, and for you to be able to do that, your owner must have empowered you with the ability to do so. So, you know, I mean, it kind of goes, it, it, empowerment kind of trickles down. And I love the concept of consistency through empowerment. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, the, it, I, I'm very lucky with the, the ownership um, in the dealership where he has the confidence that I can do the job, that, that I can take care of his customers 
um, and, and not cause a whole lot of voicemails for when he comes in so that he has to fight fires. Um, because I look at it the same way. If, if a customer's getting by me, you get into the DP. Yep. <laughs> really, he's giving away my department, not just the house. Those, those go uphill, not necessarily downhill, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, there is a, a fixed ops director that's that's above me, um, and and I'm lucky in two ways on that. Number one, great guy, smart guy, um, allows me the 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 rope that I need to to run my department without without him always pulling at the strings and taking me in a different direction. Um, and secondly, geographically, I'm lucky because the, the other stores in the group are over an hour away and I'm the only store that's out this way. So, <laughs> so they never no, want to I don't bug you as much. Win-win. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, like I said, I, I really love the concept and I think uh, anybody out there that's listening watching this, definitely take note of that. Um, consistency through empowerment. In fact, actually, I could almost do a whole nother podcast just on that. We could really kind of deep dive into that. But um, th- there's been some great, I mean, nuggets here really have, and I hope everybody's enjoyed listening or watching to this episode. Uh, for people out there that are listening and watching and would like to learn more about what you do, David, or connect with you, what is the best way to do so? Um, LinkedIn, obviously. I'm uh, very active on LinkedIn as uh, David Foy, Fixed Ops Mastermind on LinkedIn. Um, find me there is the easiest way, uh, fixedopsmastermind.com. You can certainly connect with me there. Instagram, if you want to go there, is DaveFoy underscore FOM. And uh, that's, that's that's enough. People that's awesome. Find. That's perfect. That's oh. perfect. Fine. <laughs> David, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today, man. I really appreciate it. Jason, it was great talking with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Have a good day. We covered a bunch of great topics today. What stood out most to you? Be sure to let us know in the comment section below. And don't forget to like the post and share it to keep the conversation going. You can follow Jason on all social media platforms by following Strategy with Jason. You can find him pretty well everywhere you can share content. I hope we were able to get you thinking. And until the next time, this has been Nathan with Digital Dealership Solutions. Have a great day.